and welcome to Vistipulse, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest today in Studio Two, Catherine Bussman. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Priscilla. It's a pleasure to join you on Vista Talks. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We're, we're delighted. And, uh, and so for those of you who wouldn't know Catherine yet, uh, but I'm sure a large part of our audience knows you, uh, Catherine is a fellow podcast host uh, and global business strategist. Uh, Catherine is president and chief strategist as Verbachina, uh, host of the Worldly uh, Marketer podcast and also head of content localization as Bubble. So we're going to start and get to know you for our audience who wouldn't yet and maybe dig into um, your academic background that is quite impressive, I have to say. And also maybe talk uh, first, let's jump into Lockwood Y43 that just took place January 27th and January 28th. So did you attend the online event yourself? I did, yeah. Uh, so this is, we're speaking on January 29th, so it just ended. Uh, yeah, I attended uh, Lockwood Y43 and um, it, it was, I thought it was very successful. Uh, I can tell from the last Lockwood Wide, um, the 42nd edition that, uh, you know, they, they've, the organizers learn things every time they have to do this virtually and uh, are improving right on, on the previous edition. And so this time around, I thought the, the platform they selected was uh, was very robust and worked really well. At least it did for me. Uh, I can't speak for everybody else, but um, that worked really well. Uh, I thought the, the quality of the sessions was uh, really great. And um, I mean, clearly what they what they decided to do this time around was pre-record all the sessions. Um, because I know last time what happened was some of the sessions, um, you know, people were presenting live in the moment and maybe their internet connection was kind of, you know, uh, spotty. And, and so there were, there were some technical difficulties with some of the sessions last time. And I think to avoid that, this is what I'm guessing, to avoid that they decided to just have everybody, all the speakers pre-record everything um, to make sure that, uh, you know, everything was, um, was coming across perfectly and, and yeah. everyone could hear and see everything properly and uh, so that I think that helped and and I mean at the end of the day all the sessions are going to be available to watch later anyway so uh, this idea of recording everything is, is not a not a bad idea at all and it, it kind of serves the purpose and they still had live Q&A's which I, I really enjoyed and, and live networking yeah that's very engaging uh, for everyone attending I suppose yeah and uh, with uh, all these global, fantastic global organizations attending. So, um, um, and I, I'd like to move on to your impressive background as a academic background, as I mentioned, because you studied communications uh, then linguistics at the University of Ottawa, Canada, but you also hold a PhD in the same field. Uh, so I don't want to butcher the name from Humboldt University of Berlin in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. That's really impressive. So really, I should be calling you Dr. Bossman if I'm <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to do that but yes you could <laughs> you know when when uh when i when, whenever i'm in austria people uh are they're very big on on titles like that so so i do get called uh, dr busman <laughs> whenever i'm in austria it's kind of fun. so uh so tell me why did you um like why did you decide to pursue this particular field and up into a phd level and i mean is it because you you know is it related to your multicultural background i understand you grew up speaking three different languages 
Yeah. So I, I mean, so I was born in, in Canada, but more specifically in Quebec. So as you know, Quebec is, is the French speaking province uh, of, uh, in Canada. French is the, uh, the official language of Quebec. And uh, my parents had just literally just immigrated to Quebec from Germany. Okay. So uh, they, they arrived like a month earlier. <laughs> so, and I was born. So, so I have dual citizenship because of that, uh, Canadian by, by birth and uh, German through my parents. Um, and so I grew up speaking German at home, French outside the home, yeah. including at school. And I kind of learned English, I guess, as a third language. I, I can't remember learning it. I, I basically, it was baked in. All three languages were baked yeah. in basically from the time I was born. So I was exposed to all three, uh, more or less equally, but like in, in different, very different environments. Um, you know, so, uh, so I don't remember learning any of them, but I, I learned them all kind of equally, equally well. And, uh, you know, also reading and writing them so that I think that's rather unique like I don't come across a lot of people who have a chance to yeah. learn three languages simultaneously like that um, but it, it really to me it sort of baked in this idea that you know multilingual um, a multilingual flow is sort of a to totally natural thing and and uh, I also kind of became quite aware of um, how when I switch between languages or at least as a child this was more the case uh, I would also switch uh, a bit, I don't, well, my mentality almost, like it was almost mm -hmm. like uh, I was kind of becoming a different person in, in each of my three languages, in part because of the context, right? So, so French was more the social kind of context at school with my friends. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with my parents, it was all sort of family stuff and, and because um, all my relatives are still in Germany. So mm -hmm. I, I, we would visit them very, very often. And then English was sort of more the, the language of uh, society at large, you know, the media. I was watching a lot of English language television. And of course, being just north of the US, we got all the American pop culture uh, in our media in Canada as well. So yeah, so I, it, to me, being multilingual, multicultural is just sort of the most natural thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And so that naturally kind of made me uh, pursue, I guess, um, communication studies, which at the time when I, this was in the early 90s, communication studies back then was really a theory of mass media, mm -hmm. at least at the University of Ottawa it was. And um, so, you know, um, print, the his, like the, the, the theory behind um, mass print, mass radio and, and television and, and uh, the internet was not really on the radar yet in terms of, you know, being a mass medium. So when I look back now, it all seems very quaint, right? This, things have changed so much since then, it's, it's ridiculous. But then I, while I was studying that, I, I took some linguistics courses as, a, as optional courses and I totally fell in love. I, I was like, oh, this is, this, is what I wanted, this is what I want to pursue. It's so interesting. Uh, and I didn't even know this field existed, right? Linguistics. Um, now, Ottawa U also has a translation department. And I know a lot of people in my family kind of always thought I might pursue translation as a career, but I have to say that yeah. was never my vocation. Like, I, I really believe strongly that you have to, it has to be a vocation. Like I know a lot of translators and if, if it's not your vocation, um, you're probably not gonna stick with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it really does need to be something that you are passionate about. And I, it was never my passion to become a translator, but, but, but I love languages and I love the culture that comes with the language and uh, the differences between languages and cultures are, are fascinating to me and the history of languages, which is what I actually pursued in, in the field of linguistics. I, I went into historical linguistics and historical uh, phonology, which is the, 
the study the study of speech sounds so it gets really granular <laughs> so and because i guess because i have a lot of academics in my family including my my father was a professor uh, at the university uh, where we where i grew up okay. um, he was a professor of uh, physics and so to me academia was just sort of the the almost like the default thing yeah this is what you'd like if you don't know what else to do with your life just become an academic <laughs> so I kind of pursued that and it was going well and I kept getting scholarships so I kept thinking okay I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing and then uh, and and because I have dual citizenship I thought well it would be really cool to go do my PhD in Germany so I, I picked uh, Humboldt Universität uh, in Berlin because they had a really solid um, program and, and some really interesting professors um, in historical linguistics and that was uh, a really, really good experience. Um, but it was also like a process during a PhD was a process that was um, that kind of taught me that at the end of the day, I want to do something a little more practical and a little less uh, ivory towerish, shall mm -hmm. we say, uh, because historical linguistics is fascinating, but it's also there's not a lot of practical applications, you know, in the here and now, you know, how, how does this help people right now with problems they're actually trying to solve? So by the end of this process of completing my PhD, I, I was kind of ready to see what else I could do besides becoming an academic. And, um, and it sort of coincided with me kind of settling in, in Toronto with my family, a family of my own started my family and had my daughter and uh, and it just, the time just seemed right to focus on that for, for some years. So I, I took some time off to just uh, raise my, my daughter. And um, by the time I was ready to go back at, out into the workforce, um, I'd sort of not burned my academic bridges, but let them kind of dry up, I guess you could say. So I was ready to try something different. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I take the skills I have, you know, this being trilingual, having a, an affinity for uh, cultural and ling linguistic issues um, and how can I apply that to the real world uh, in, a, in a practical way that lets me kind of build a business around that um, and so that's when I launched Verbacino in, in 2014. I was going to come to this um, thanks um, for the very smooth transition should I say and uh, that's exactly um, um, my next point. Um, you're president and chief strategist as we mentioned at Verbacino and uh, Verbacino is an international marketing consultancy that empowers the global brands of tomorrow. And you help digital first B2B companies to go um, smart in a smart strategic way. So um, tell us a little bit about the organization or about uh, your consultancy. Uh, what type of services uh, do you offer and uh, you specialize in? So it's a, it's, it's a strategic consultancy. So I, I focus on creating strategies um, specifically for uh, content marketing uh, in, in a context where a, a company is ready to go global for the first time. And of course, we know that that means not global everywhere, but global, you know, starting with one, one market, one foreign market, and then maybe the next one and the next one. So in a, in a very uh, calculated and uh, well-informed way. But as, as a company expands internationally for the first time, they will realize that the, the, the content marketing strategy that they've been using in their domestic market and that may have wor worked really well for them uh, doesn't necessarily translate, pardon the pun, well into uh, the foreign market that they're trying to enter. So at that point, they need to kind of take a step back and think, okay, how are we going to do this? We, we obviously can't just sort of copy and paste 
our current approach. Uh, what are the things we have to think about? Like we, we've never done this before. What are the issues that can come up? Who are the experts we need to kind of talk to and, and maybe um, outsource some of this work to? And just because you don't know what you don't know when you're just starting out, right? So, so I'm, I'm looking to work with, um, with digital first companies that are in the early stages of scaling up internationally um, or who maybe they're already kind of, they have a foot in international, but they kind of are realizing that maybe uh, the resource that the resources that they have in-house mm -hmm. are not uh, really specialized enough to handle these new challenges that they're encountering. And they just need someone to be kind of uh, the connector basically between uh, their business goals and uh, the, the, the specialists that they are going to need to make those business goals happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I see myself as a, as a connector because I, I, as I kind of just explained, I'm not, I, I didn't start out in the localization field. Uh, I started out in academia, you know, communication studies, linguistics. Uh, then when I launched my business, I, I started focusing on um, content marketing uh, because I, I realized um, just by doing my own marketing myself for my business that uh, if, you, if you don't know how to market your business, no one's going to know you even exist. So, <laughs> so you, you need to uh, pay attention to your marketing strategy and then um, also really get to know your, your target market. Be clear on who your target market is and then uh, plan your, your content marketing accordingly. Okay. So I've done this for my own business, Rubicino. And uh, so in a B2B context, I, I also discovered that uh, for, for global marketing, localization comes into the picture. And, and it, was, it was frankly a revelation to me. Uh, I like to say that localization is probably the best kept secret uh, for global business success, because uh, from my perspective, as someone who has just kind of come into the localization space, uh, you know, back in 2014, I had never heard, like I'm, I've always been interested in language and culture and I had literally never heard of the localization industry until I stumbled across it myself, just because I was starting to talk to people and, and uh, starting to network and starting mm -hmm. to build um, you know, my own knowledge in global marketing. And I thought, how can this be? How did I not know about this fascinating, really, really cool industry with all these really, really cool people in it? If I'd known about it you know, back in my university days, I probably would have just made a beeline for that and I would have studied that and I would have you know, gotten started uh, 20 years ago. So, but you know, better late than never. And now I, my mission is, is really to kind of um, make sure that localization gets on people's radar, the, the, the people who really need to know about it and who need to understand it better and who probably need to become clients of the localization industry and then help them navigate it because it's, it is a bit, for someone who doesn't have a background in languages uh, or translation, it's, it can be a little bit intimidating and a little bit, um, uh, yeah, a little bit confusing at times. If you don't speak the jargon, you don't know the lingo, you don't, you know, you haven't been to conferences like Lokworld, mm -hmm. there's a there's a really steep learning curve. Yeah. And so I think for, for startups and scale-ups and SMEs who are just starting to internationalize, um, it, it can be intimidating. And I think I, I, I'm in a good position to be that person who can be the connector between your brand, your, your business goals, 
and the localization industry and, and you know, global marketing industry who will be the, the people who have the specialists to take you to where you're trying to get. Absolutely, yeah. And through your podcast, you're also a, you, you connect people together and you put the localization industry on the radar for everyone who is looking to expand or to get to know um, um, uh, localization experts and marketing experts. Uh, so um, obviously, so we can't uh, mention Verbacino without mentioning the Worldly Marketer podcast. Uh, uh, and, um, and I mean, it's a very impressive record of interviews that you have. I see two, uh, 210, if I'm not uh, incorrect. How, um, how was it born? What, why the idea of this podcast in the first place? So I'm a huge fan of podcasts as like as a medium. I, I love listening to podcasts. I don't have as much time now as I used to to listen to them, but um, I find if you find the right ones, they're extremely educational. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's amazing the the quality of content that you can find if if you take the time to search. And and there's something for everyone, right? So when I was starting my business, I was looking for uh, podcasts that could teach me about you know running my own business. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, marketing, uh, you know, all these different topics that yeah. I still had a lot to learn. And I, you know, we all always have a lot to learn, but um, there's, there's some really, really fantastic podcasts out there by really top level, you know, thought leaders, certainly in the marketing industry and, uh, you know, in, in business. And so when I kind of, it took me a while, but when I finally figured out that my, my niche was going to be uh, content marketing for global growth. I started looking for podcasts that were talking about that kind of issue, right? That those the the issues that come up when you're when you're planning a global content strategy. And I couldn't find a podcast like that. I, I couldn't find a podcast about global marketing, literally, which I found very strange because there's just tons of podcasts about marketing, Absolutely. but not global marketing. And as we know, global marketing, you know, is, is a, is a different animal. Like there's so many more issues involved that you have to think about. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, okay, so if no one is doing a podcast about global marketing, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a sign I should maybe <laughs> try launching one myself. Yeah. Um, and, and it was again, like a really steep learning curve because I'd never done anything like that before, but I thought, you know, I'm just going to try doing this and, you know, it's, it's an experiment and uh, there's, I have nothing to lose basically. So, um, so I launched it. I, I, I launched with 10 episodes. This was back in 2016. I recorded 10 episodes in advance with people that I had connected with by that point, uh, including people like Renato Beninato and, uh, you know, some other people that are, are well known in localization circles. And um, I launched it and yeah, it's, it's been going ever since. It's a weekly, it was a weekly podcast uh, this week, this, this year in 2021, I'm gonna have to scale back a little bit and make it every other week. But uh, so far it's been weekly. And uh, one thing that I have realized in doing it is it's this interview format, right? Where you are connecting with people in advance, asking them to be on your show, explaining the, the mission of the show. And I've almost never had anyone say, no, I'm not interested, right? Everyone's always like, oh yeah, I'd love to love to do that, right? Um, so I, I've found that this interview format is a fantastic way of networking, of yeah. building your network with people who are thought leaders in your industry or in the industries you know, adjacent to yours. And uh, because 
unlike you know meeting someone at a conference where you kind of briefly chat and, and exchange you know business cards back in the day and now you kind of connect on LinkedIn and then maybe you don't see them or hear from them ever again or if you see them in, in your LinkedIn feed you go oh I, that's the first connection where did I meet this person again I can't remember now I'd have to go back and figure that out mm -hmm. um, with a podcast interview you now have this 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 connection on a much deeper level. Yeah. Uh, you've had this meaningful conversation. And in fact, you've created a piece of content around this meaningful conversation. Uh, so it's a win-win. And, and so it creates a lot of goodwill you know, on both sides. And so now you have this really high quality contact in your network that you, in my experience, you tend to stay in touch with over time, right? Um, these are people who now, all the, all the people I've interviewed are now people that I would feel comfortable reaching out to and, and vice versa. Uh, and, and, and that actually happens, you know, on a regular basis where I hear from someone I interviewed a while ago, they go, you know what, I was talking to someone just the other day and your name came up and your, inter your podcast came up and, and it occurred to me, this person would be like a great guest for you. Let me introduce you. And that's how I've been getting a lot of my guests now. So uh, I know this is, you know, something that people wonder about, how do I get on a podcast? uh Can find I? a podcast yeah just network and find a podcast that's actually really really uh aligned with your mission as as a professional whether you're a freelancer or you know a consultant or a or a business leader uh find find the podcasts that actually are totally in alignment with your own mission your goals and yeah yeah and, yeah and that's that's the key really absolutely yeah and and uh, it's interesting you mentioned the guests um and how to get on a podcast and so what are you looking for in a guest and what type of topics do you discuss on the show and uh, the worldly market podcast is a podcast that this like proudly sponsored and has been sponsoring for, for a while so we would be curious i'm sure for our audience who wouldn't know it yet and who'd like to tune in what, what type of topics do you discuss and what are you looking for in a guest Yes. Well, first of all, I, I have to say uh, the the sponsorship by by uh, Vistatech has been has been much appreciated, and so uh, I, I hope to continue that relationship. Um, that you know is a good question. That, you know, how do I choose my? Because what I found, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic and in 2020, kind of everything went virtual. Uh, but it, it's I feel like there's a whole new industry that sort of sprung out of the ground uh, around. Um, podcasting agents, podcast agents. So their job is basically to book their clients onto podcasts. So I'm hearing almost on a daily basis now, I, I hear from uh, podcast agents who are basically emailing anyone and everyone who has a podcast, a business podcast, and who uh, does like, you know, interviews, who has an interview format, uh, trying to get their clients onto the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's almost never a good fit because what, what they are obviously doing is they're just sending a template email to any podcaster they can find. They can mm -hmm. sort of identify it probably through LinkedIn or something. Mm -hmm. And um, so now I have a template response, <laughs> which is like, you know, thanks for your inquiry. I, I, I appreciate it. But like your, your client is, is actually not a good fit for my podcast. Uh, they would be much better served by, a podcast that is uh, focusing on more general, you know, digital marketing topics or more general um, entrepreneur entrepreneurship uh, topics. Um, so my, my podcast is actually very niche, uh, which is a good thing from my perspective, because my goal has never been to 
like it's not my business model. It's not it's not how I try to make a living. It's it's how I put myself out there and uh, and build a, a brand build brand awareness for Verbicino basically. Uh, so it's content marketing is what it is. Um, so I have to be very selective about the guests that I have on the podcast now. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's really a, an act of curation, right? It's, uh, it's choosing the guests that are going to be able to bring uh, the best um, value in terms of content, in terms of knowledge that they can uh, share with the audience for my target audience. And my target audience is, uh, well, from, from Vistatech's perspective, is the client's of the localization industry. It's the, or, or more specifically, it's the potential clients of the localization industry. So, so those who maybe have never heard of localization before and have everything to learn about, you know, what's involved uh, and not just localization because it is a podcast about global marketing in, a, in the most general sense. So I, I also talk about things like, um, you know, international SEO. I talk about things like, you know, internationalization of uh, software or, or websites. Uh, I talk about, uh, you know, web globalization best practices. I talk about uh, intercultural communication. I talk about, you know, how do you build a global team successfully? I talk about, um, you know, marketing trends in, in specific countries or specific regions. Uh, I talk about global digital trends. Um, you know, who's using which social network where in the world and, and what, what are they using it for? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. So it's, it's, uh, it's global marketing in the widest sense of the word and localization is definitely a big part of that uh, because uh, I'm sort of, I naturally gravitate towards the localization industry. I feel like uh, that's where I would have landed if I'd known about it sooner. <laughs> uh, so now my part of my mission is to educate people outside the localization industry about um, what it is and, and why they need it if they're planning on expanding internationally. Absolutely, and very useful. Um, so thank you. Uh, and you're also a very busy marketer. So you mentioned you're involved. You've got, you know, Verbicino, the podcast, but you're also, uh, you've also joined Bubble uh, in October 2020 as head of content organization. So um, you lead the agency's uh, global brand uh, building services. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the organization, your current role for urgents who maybe you wouldn't know Bubble. Um, tell us a little bit about Bubble and what you do. Yeah, yeah so Bubble is it's another one of those cases where someone reached out to me and said, you should meet this guy because we were just talking and, and it occurred to me he would be a great guest for your show. So that person who uh, I had had previously on my show was Chris Rolfe, who is uh, well known in localization circles as a, sort of an expert in international SEO. And the person he wanted to introduce me to was Neil Sheff, who is the, the founder and CEO of a, a digital marketing agency called Bubble. Uh, he's based in London. And uh, he, at first I was like kind of skeptical. I was like, okay, well, I'm looking at the Bubble website and I don't really see the global angle, right? It, I mean, he clearly knows what he's doing, you know, in terms of digital marketing services, but like, where's the global angle here? I'm not sure. So uh, we had a chat and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. He's actually, he really knows his stuff. Like when it comes to um, optimizing content for, for global reach um, and country specific reach. So ISEO again. Um, and so I had him on the show. It went really well. We ended up chatting and uh, he ended up interviewing me for my own podcast, which was kind of a fun reversal of roles. Mm -hmm. And long story short, we ended up, deciding to partner with each other so so we're now sort of informal i guess partners 
Um, and what he brought me into Bubble to do really is uh, to launch the, um, the digital, sorry, the, the global brand building division, if you will, of uh, his agency. So Bubble has always worked with, um, with clients on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, just by virtue of, of their composition. And, you know, they've always had clients in the UK, obviously, where their headquarters is, but also in the US, because mm -hmm. they, they also have uh, people like Chris Rolf um, uh, partnering with them. And so they have clients on both sides of the Atlantic, and they've always done localization of content and uh, of SEO in the sense that, um, you know, there is, as we all know, there's a big difference between uh, uh, content that's optimized for the US and content that's optimized for the UK, for instance. So it's English, but you know, you still have to localize it. Um, so, so their team is really good. They understand localization. And so now what they're trying to do is scale that to include other languages. And so the, the core offerings at Bubble in terms of the, the types of services that they offer, the core pillars, I guess you could say, uh, at Bubble are copywriting, uh, and more specifically, optimized mm -hmm. copywriting, mm -hmm. SEO, and so that includes international SEO. And the third pillar would be social media management, social media strategy and social media management. Uh, so now my role at Bubble basically is to scale that uh, to include languages beyond English or the yeah. Variety, yeah. different varieties of yeah. English, right? Um, so, so it's early days and, and I'm still kind of building that, uh, that division of bubble. Um, so right now what I'm doing is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, business development, uh, but ultimately my role there will, will be sort of at the level of, of strategy, uh, content strategy and making sure that, uh, the, the clients at bubble who are in that process of internationalizing, uh, their content, um, and, and, you know, expanding their brand uh, to new markets are well taken care of. And uh, so, again, the focus is on multilingual copywriting, ISEO, and uh, down the road, and I'm not quite into this part of it yet, but uh, offering things like uh, multilingual uh, in-country social media management. Very important, yeah. yeah. And we're talking about global and uh, English speakers in, in the UK and the United States. Um, you said like today almost 93% of users are based outside of North America. 75% are non-English speakers. So obviously we've seen more and more large US companies expanding internationally. And of course, language and cultures are involved in these uh, decisions. So what are your thoughts on this? We're talking about, especially speaking of, talking about these languages and yeah, what you do. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy, like, I'm, you know, I'm based in North America, and, and you know, it's, we're, being in Canada, we're, we're very aware of uh, the US, it's our major, our largest trading partner, and, uh, and vice versa, and we're always very aware of what's going on there, uh, because I, I guess I, I'm half European, you could say, uh, uh, my, that's where my roots are, uh, I'm also very connected to the European um, I guess mentality, especially German and mm -hmm. uh, German market. But I mean, these days, when you when you when you take a step back and look at the statistics, like for instance, I, I encourage everyone to go check out uh, the latest edition of the uh, Digital Twenty Twenty One report that uh, Simon Kemp just put out. Simon mm -hmm. Kemp is uh, the CEO at uh, a consultancy called Kepios. Uh, so together with um, Hootsuite and uh, We Are Social, which which is a, also a digital agency, uh, every year they put out this global digital um, 
I think they call it a global digital stat shot or global digital report, basically, uh, where they collect data, uh, the latest data on uh, internet usage. Mm -hmm. And that includes, you know, uh, social media usage, uh, e-commerce usage, um, and uh, mobile, you know, the the mobile uh, angle in all this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they they just, they they basically report... um, what the latest numbers are, right? In terms of uh, who's using the internet, where, for what, on which channels, uh, you know, what are they doing on the internet exactly? And uh, and what are the trends? What are the global trends? And then they also break it down country by country. And it's absolutely fascinating. And it really drives home the point that North America is just, in terms of uh, uh, numbers of internet users, is such a small percentage, like it's less than 8% at this point. Uh, of the total global uh, internet population, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's countries like obviously China and but also India and then yep. you know huge parts of Africa yep. where the, the the internet adoption percentages are still uh, surprisingly low, mm-hmm. and there's still so much growth. There's so much room for growth still mm-hmm. in terms of numbers of people who still have to come online who who are not yet on the internet but will be. Uh, that's where the growth is happening, right? And that's, um, so So when I say, you know, North America represents less than 8% of uh, the global uh, internet uh, users, mm-hmm. that, that percentage is actually gonna keep shrinking, right? Because uh, demographically, uh, it's, it's places like Asia and Africa where, yeah. and, and Latin America, where the population is growing mm-hmm. in any case, is yeah. growing fastest, but it's also, those are also the places where um, there's the most, um, need to catch up in, in terms of the, the population getting online for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when they do get online, of course, it's usually on mobile, mobile first, so or mobile you, only, right? Yeah. Um, so um, you also say that to be successful in the digital age, um, in general, brands need to reach out to people where um, they are in the local language in preferred channels. Um, so, and that they must demonstrate cultural intelligence. Can you expand a little bit on this as well? I'm curious. Yeah. So I think a lot of people getting online for the first time are doing it uh, via social networks, right? Whether it's Facebook, whether it's uh, WeChat, um, there, there, are, there are entire ecosystems now on social networks that mm-hmm. people kind of live inside of now and, and they don't really go outside of those ecosystems anymore. Uh, so if you're not on those channels, if you're not on those networks that your target customers are, you're not going to connect with them. It's as simple as that. And and uh, the other thing too is, uh, well, especially now that we're all in lockdown, a lot of us are, you know, in lockdown and, and a lot of things have moved into the virtual space in terms of uh, commerce. Uh, if you don't have uh, a digital brand presence, now's the time to, <laughs> now, now's the time to, to, to work on that. Yeah, now's the time to fix that. Because that trend, it's sort of been accelerated, obviously, by the pandemic. But a lot of commerce is now happening online. Uh, a lot of networking is happening online, obviously, if you're in a B2B space. And, uh, and a lot of purchases are happening online. And a lot of purchases are happening more and more, not so much in North America, maybe, but in Asia, certainly, and other parts of the world. A lot of purchases, a lot of commerce is now moving to social. So these are trends that like, depending on which industry you're in and who your target market is, uh, where your target, mar- target market is and, and who your customers are, uh, those are all things you really need to 
keep on top of and, and pay attention to. And, and, uh, and, and so, so reports like this global uh, digital 2021 report are, are just gold, right? Because first of all, it's a free report. So everyone should go check it out. But also um, it really shows you how uh, different different regions are, how, how different regions use completely different networks of course, yeah. uh, for different pur purposes even, right? So, so you need to be where your customers are and you need to be speaking in their language. That's where cultural intelligence comes in. Uh, you know, it's nice to localize things from a distance, but you, if you don't have someone to do at least some quality control on the ground in that mm -hmm. market and tell you, yeah, no one talks like that here, <laughs> you know? Uh, so maybe you want to tweak it this way or that way, or tone of voice is wrong given your target market. You know, if you're talking to Gen Z, they don't talk like that, right? So you might want to tweak that. Or if you're, if you're trying to address uh, business clients in this market, you're going to have to step it up a notch. People are much more formal in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't introduce themselves by their first name. They, they really put an emphasis on titles, uh, that type of thing. So, so there's so much to learn. And uh, so cultural intelligence is huge. And depending on the market you're entering, uh, there's, a, there's people in country who can really, really help with that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you cannot. Um... You cannot miss this. And you're talking about um, uh, going global and helping uh, uh, brands go global. Um, but with your, um, with all of your work uh, for the podcast and uh, and your uh, organization Verbacino, uh, you've won a community award with the Think Global Forum. Uh, and the Think Global Awards uh, uh, with your tremendous work, really, should I say. So how did you feel about, you know, about this? And uh, because it's connected to everything you've been, uh, you've been doing for a number of years. So tell us. Oh, I was thrilled. I, I, it, was, it came completely out of the blue. Uh, I, I think at the time, the, 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 the award ceremonies were somewhere on the West Coast, and I'm in Toronto. And, and I remember at the time thinking, like, I, I had no idea I was even sort of in the running for this award. So I, I, I had sort of thought about going to the award ceremony, but it was just so far away. And I was kind of committed to other things. And uh, I just thought, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to but now, in retrospect, I should have gone because, because I won this award in absentia, and it was uh, such a thrill to find out and receive this award. And um, yeah, total, a total honor. I um, uh, yeah, it's just and, and and I love that I won in the community category because I do feel like the whole idea behind the podcast. Yes, it's a content marketing platform for Verbicino, but it's also to me, it's also a way of building a community. Uh, around this mission that I'm very passionate about, right? Which is building awareness uh, of, you know, global marketing. Yeah, global marketing, global localization. What does it take, right, in this day and age? What does it take to build a global brand? It's a very different ballgame from even 10 years ago, right? And it's, it keeps changing. So, so it's, it's fascinating. And, and there are so many cool, cool people like yourself who, who work in this area. So, uh, I'm just really passionate about um, shedding a light on on this industry and uh, making sure that people who who need it, whether they realize it or not, it's here. are are made are made aware of it and to de demystify it for them so that they don't feel intimidated by it. Uh, because it's full of really great, friendly, welcoming people who just want to help and uh, who do what they do out of passion quite often. So, uh, and out of a love of culture and language. And um, I just want to make sure that um, that localization and, and, and globalization, because globalization is a word that has uh, has had some negative connotations at times uh, outside of 
you know, the localization industry. And I just feel like globalization in the, in the sort of widest sense of the word is, is it's, a, it's a thing that's not going away, right? We're so connected now through the internet and, and that's not, that's not going to go away now. So we have to find a way to, to collaborate. And in fact, great things happen when we collaborate. So it's just a matter of figuring out, figuring out how to best do that and, and finding the right people and tools to facilitate that. And I'm really passionate about, uh, about promoting that idea to, to people who have yet to discover it or embrace it fully. Well, thank you very much. That's very well said. And um, and uh, but you're it's you're not you're not just um, how can I say not limited to just the podcast Verbacino and Bubble. You also are very much involved in uh, women localization in Canada. So you must be very very busy <laughs> conferences. Uh, but it's I mean it's fantastic. You're also uh, leading uh, a chapter in Canada, uh, and I understand that in March of 2019 you were named as one of the um, uh, the leaders of this new chapter, uh, this Eastern Canada chapter, if I may say. And if I'm uh, quoting um, uh, cor correctly, the goal of women localization in Eastern Canada is to bring together professionals involved in the localization industry across Ontario, Quebec, and the At Atlantic provinces, and to connect them to the wider women in law community, which is obviously uh, very much global. So tell us a little bit about uh, the chapter. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I have a, a friend here in the Toronto area, uh, Catherine Christaki, who some people might know. She's the head of Lingua Greca. Uh, she's a Greek Canadian. And uh, we had met, I can't even remember now how we met, but um, I, I guess I was trying to find who else in my neck of the woods here in, in Ontario and Toronto specifically, um, you know, is, is working in the localization sector. And she was one of the first people who got onto my radar because she's very active on social media. Uh, and so we kind of connected and, um, you know, we were both talking about how um, we'd both been to some local world events and um, how we were both aware of women in localization. And we were so impressed with that organization and, and we were, uh, we saw what they were doing and how chapters were popping up everywhere and uh, they were growing and, and it, was, it just seemed like such a cool idea and a, and a really uh, worthwhile organization to be a part of. And we were lamenting the fact that we didn't have a chapter here in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, so then we thought, okay, well, why don't we launch a chapter here in Canada? So we got in touch with the, uh, the, the headquarters, the global headquarters. Um, and, uh, you know, they were just putting in place at the time, uh, um, you know, standard operating procedure around uh, accepting, you know, uh, mm -hmm. applications for new chapters and that. So it took a while, but we eventually got the green light to launch our chapter. So Catherine and I, in 2019, co-founded uh, Women in Localization in Eastern Canada. Uh, and yeah, and, and the rest is history. I mean, we're, we're building it. We're still sort of in the growth stages and uh, it's, it's still relatively early days. And, and of course the pandemic kind of threw a bit of a wrench into our plans because as you probably know, women in localization is all about bringing people together at live events in person so that they can meet and network. get to know each other and network and, and uh, learn from each other. Uh, so all that's had to, you know, go virtual, which is, which is, you know, has its own advantages, frankly, because now what we're finding uh, is that uh, the events that we're uh, planning with our chapter, uh, because they're virtual, we, we have 
people from all over the world join us for the virtual event, right? Which is really cool. And, you know, vice versa, we, we are able to join other chapters events too. So, so in that sense, it's, it's sort of been, it's been nice because we, we are really feeling more included in the global community uh, of women in localization than we otherwise might have. Uh, and we were learning, I guess, at a faster pace of what, what's possible as a chapter. So uh, it, it's been really cool, and and but we have we have lots planned this year, and um, uh, it's it's been really rewarding to see how it's grown. Like we most of us are either in Toronto or in Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, there's we have some members in Ottawa. Uh, the next step will be to keep growing in those cities, but also uh, expand, you know, beyond those three core cities. Um, you know, when we launched, we we thought about making it. The Canada chapter, but Canada is such a big country, right? Yeah. That having having people join from Vancouver, like you get into like we have so many time zones that uh, at some point you have to say, okay, what what is practical here? Yeah. Let's, let's make it like Eastern Canada. Um, but you know that that does include you know the the uh, Atlantic provinces. So we're gonna try to recruit more people from those areas because we know that there's there's people working in in translation and localization, you know, across our region here. So there's still a lot of work to do, but it's exciting. It's exciting. It sounds very much exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, so, um, so you mentioned the pandemic and obviously, you know, it's been um, extremely tough on so many different levels for everyone. Um, and uh, how has it been for you, for you working from home in the past year? And I'd like to discuss a little bit, you know, a few different aspects and what this pandemic um, has brought us, let's say, in terms of like uh, changing the way that we work and, and live. Well, for me, it hasn't really changed much because I've always worked from my home office, <laughs> which you see here. Uh, so that hasn't changed. Um, but what I think will have changed by the end of all this is that there's a much there's going to be a much higher uh, acceptance of um, remote work. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, for people who are on global teams, this may not be anything new, and especially in the localization world, it's it's not revolutionary by any stretch of the imagination. Many people have been working remotely for a long time. Uh, but I think the tools to do that are getting better every day, you know, um, because now there's a real need to make these tools as productive as possible, as user-friendly as possible. Um, and I think uh, that, you know, both on the client side and on the vendor side, there's gonna be uh, a much higher tolerance for people uh, team members being in remote locations mm -hmm. and and that not being a barrier to getting the job done and, and getting it done just as well Absolutely. in fact you know arguably there's some advantages if you have people in different locations because you get perspectives uh, you know in-country perspectives that you wouldn't otherwise get um yeah I, I think um and you know when it comes to networking you know whether it's just one time kind of you know webinars or, or virtual conferences I think uh, we're going to see more hybrid models where uh, people can join either in person or virtually and, and somehow the conference, the event organizers accommodate that uh, in different ways. And I think that's a good thing because it, it kind of democratizes the whole conference circuit, right? Uh, it used to be that, you know, not everyone could take the time off or the, had the resources to attend all these events. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's become much more accessible. And I think that's a good thing, right? Yeah, no. So, that's the silver lining. 
Yeah, and in terms of um, from a, a marketer point of view perspective, have you noticed any difference in the trends? Obviously, everybody's working from home and using different tools. Um, have you noticed any difference, and what do you what do you see, you know, up and coming for you know twenty twenty one and onwards? What would you say? I think it's become more important than ever for brands to really, really figure out what their positioning is. Because now that everything's gone virtual and, and companies are realizing that, oh, okay, we really got to step up our, our digital game, you know, our, our digital branding, our digital marketing, uh, our digital outreach. Um, people on the receiving end of those campaigns are just being bombarded, right? Yes. Uh, and so you got to be really strategic. You got to really take a step back and think, okay, what's my positioning? Like, how am I really differentiating myself mm -hmm. from my competitors? Because otherwise I'm just part of the noise. So what's, what makes me unique? What, what am I pitching here? And why, how is that unique? Uh, like just as an example, I'm getting a lot of, um, pitches, whether it's on LinkedIn or in my email, uh, in my inbox or, just generally on social media by um, vendors on the localization side who, all different kinds of vendors um, who are just pitching their services. Just, it's sort of this, uh, what I like to call the, the, the spray and pray approach, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one message that they send out to everybody and it's not tailored in any way. Yeah. So you're left thinking, so what, like, how is this, like, how are you different from your competitors? Why should I care? Like, you're not, you're not showing me that you understand me. You want me to understand you, but you're not, you're not making any efforts to understand me or to, to show me and to show me that you understand me. Right. So why, why would I, <laughs> anyway, so I guess, I think what, what's needed now is, um, frankly, a more human approach. Um, an approach where you lead with your, your added value that you can bring to the table. And quite often that's the human element, right? There's a lot of vendors that offer more or less, you know, the sim similar sort of services, at least on paper, right? It looks mm -hmm. very similar, but maybe, maybe their, their added value is, is the customer service that they have, right? The, the, that human contact that, that, uh, that, genuine interest in getting to know the client's Need. pain points, right? The client's yeah. Yeah. concerns, like what keeps them up at night? What is it they're wrestling with? What is it that they really need beyond what you're offering? Really, yeah. yeah. And, and to build those relationships. I think there's a lot of people pitching a lot of things right now. There's not a lot of people who want to really, who are willing to take the time to build relationships. And I think in a time when everything's being automated, everything's, you know, blasted at you, like nonstop in terms of offerings and, and content. Uh, it's nice. What really differentiates companies is when the people behind the company show their face and show that they're willing to build relationships with their clients or their potential clients Absolutely. and really get to know them. Much more engaging, yes, for yeah. both parties, yeah. And the clients, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And uh, okay, well, um, that was very insightful, Catherine. Thank you so much. Uh, very useful, and uh, for I'm sure anyone who would be interested in going global or uh, knowing how to um, uh, reach out uh, in uh, 
uh, human way, if I should say. So um, before we end this interview, what's on the horizon for you, 2021? So you mentioned loads of conferences and OGD <laughs> schedule. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today? And again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I know we went a little long here. That's <laughs> because I probably because I'm a talker. That's what you get for interviewing a, a podcaster, right? We, we love to talk. Uh, what's on the horizon? Well, I mean, I am uh, trying to build out my um, my roster of productized services at Verbicino. So that's something that uh, is sort of a work in progress. Uh, I want to break out sort of specific service offerings that can be uh, that have like a, a, a finite scope of work and that I can offer uh, sort of as a, a one off to whether it's to um, LSPs who need to offer some sort of value add to their clients or whether it's to uh, marketing uh, agencies that that need um, some strategy with a global angle which they may not already be offering uh, so so I mean stay tuned it's early days I'm, I'm still kind of building out my my productized services or, or prefix <laughs> services as I call them on my website um, I'm going to be onboarding some some client projects, so that's exciting. Uh, continuing to partner with with Bubble. Uh, the nice thing about Bubble is, as I mentioned, Verbicino is is a strategic consultancy. So um, I I don't I mean I I help my clients uh, pick the right uh, service providers for the implementation part of of uh, the strategy, uh, but I don't offer like I don't do the implementation myself. So it's nice to partner with. Uh, a digital marketing agency like Bubble, who really understand uh, the nuances of uh, marketing to a global audience and, and uh, country-specific audiences, and who can help with implementation. So, so the nice thing about working with them is that then I have, you know, the, the client from a client point of view, everything is sort of under one umbrella. You have uh, a really highly competent uh, creative content agency who is really focused on growing, growing your brand organically through, through, uh, through really high quality copywriting, SEO and uh, social media. Uh, but then you also have uh, the, the global strategy in-house as it were, uh, if you need it. So, so that's, that's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to building that out more this year. Um, and then I'm going to continue with the Worldly Marketer podcast. Uh, I'm going to, like I mentioned, I'm going to scale it back a little bit because it was kind of starting to take over my schedule. Like I'm, I'm a one woman operation here at Verbicino, right? So uh, to put out a new podcast episode every week uh, is a lot of work. And uh, so far I have not been able, I haven't been able to bring myself to outsource any of the work involved in that, uh, including things like editing. I, I kind of like to edit interviews myself because I, I feel like it's a bit of an act of curation in a way. I like to make sure my guests sound, you know, as good as I can make them sound. And so I, I, I really, I feel, I, 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 I'm reluctant to give, to give away that, that creative control. Um, but um, I might have to do that in the future, but anyway, so, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to scale it back to produce an episode every other week, um, starting in February, at the end of February, I'm going to launch uh, my 2021 season and um, it's exciting I have some really good guests lined up uh, it's uh, uh, yeah so tune in for for my 2021 season of the World of Marketer podcast and last but not least I, I just joined um, 
Clubhouse. <laughs> Everybody's talking about Clubhouse. It's a new uh, social network. Um, the cool thing about Clubhouse is it's, it's audio only. And uh, so I, I was kind of roped into joining by uh, some of my industry contacts in, in the localization industry. And uh, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I have to say, I, I so far I'm very impressed and um, I'm kind of excited because it, it, it's given me some ideas of how I can use it in a more strategic way. And one of those ways is that I'm launching, uh, actually later today after our conversation, <laughs> I have to get ready. I'm launching a new uh, weekly, hopefully weekly thing called the Worldly Marketer Chat, okay. which uh, is gonna be on the Clubhouse platform. It's, uh, it's gonna be an interactive um, event, a weekly event about an hour long every Friday, uh, at least that's the plan right now. Uh, stay tuned, it might change. But right now I'm looking at every Friday at uh, 12 noon Toronto time. So that's Eastern time. Um, and it's just a chance to meet in an audio only format, uh, very spontaneously and organically, and just have a chat about topics that would come up naturally on uh, the Worldly Marketer podcast. Um, if, if I can manage it, I'm going to try to maybe bring on some special guests uh, from, you know, the roster of, of uh, interviewees that I've featured on, on past uh, podcast episodes uh, or other people who are, you know, um, experts in, in the global marketing or, or localization field who can speak to very specific uh, issues. And um, yeah, just have a, a nice chat with whoever happens to drop in. Uh, if, if you've been on Clubhouse, you know it's, it's very organic. You can drop in and then leave again quietly. It's, it's kind of like attending a conference in a way, but, but sort of audio only. And, uh, and whoever happens to be there can jump into the conversation and we can uh, discuss these issues. And what I like about the idea of this is um, it gives me a chance, hopefully, to get to know some of my listeners. Because the thing about podcasting, as you know, is you create these episodes, you're speaking into a microphone, maybe you're speaking, well, you're speaking to your guest as well but you're not quite sure if who else is kind of going to be touched by this piece of content, by this conversation, you know, how it's being perceived. Sure. So it's, it's a way to do some um, qualitative research, if you will, uh, about, you know, how are these uh, topics and these, the, how, how is my podcast uh, engaging with people? How is it, uh, how are the topics resonating with people? Are there topics I haven't even covered or haven't thought to cover? that uh, I should be covering and uh, yeah, just getting to know my, my fellow, right. you know, worldly marketers and, and the people in the industry who, uh, who enjoy the podcast. That sounds so exciting. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and I'm sure our audience would be, uh, would be very curious and make sure to check uh, the worldly marketer chat. So thank you, for that, <laughs> Catherine. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm delighted that we went uh, way over our average, if I may say, recording time. That's <laughs> It'll be, uh, I'm sure everybody will be excited uh, when we uh, launch this episode, uh, or we publish this episode, should I say. So thank you again. That's my pleasure, Priscilla. Thanks again. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking again very soon. Me too. Uh, so, um, so that's the end, unfortunately, already of uh, Catherine Butland's interview today for uh, Vista Talks. Uh, Catherine, again, is President and Chief Strategist at Verbuccino. She obviously are a fellow podcast host uh, of the Worldly Marketer podcast and head of content localization at Bubble.
all. So please make sure to tune in again uh, for more uh, Vista Talks. Uh, you can uh, obviously listen or watch uh, all of our episodes and uh, what we'll be discussing uh, more interesting topic in topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you. Thank you.